I'm Gary. Welcome to a series of podcasts on achieving a peaceful and mindful state through mental awareness exercises. And further, gaining understanding into the laws of world creation and world maintenance, specifically as described within the works of George Gurdjieff and The Fourth Way. Each episode in this series focuses upon a particular element of this teaching and aims to bring simple understanding to what was frequently hidden in plain sight within the various subject areas of The Fourth Way. Picking up from where we left off in our last podcast, we will now discuss the changing of the Law of Seven, as described by the fellow in Texas. Okay, to understand why it was necessary to make a greater change in the Law of Seven, we need to go back to the Enneagram. However, before we discuss the Enneagram's mathematics, let's do another event. We will call this event the Enneagram of the Justice System. The Enneagram's points are numbered 1 through 9. Now, let's add the notes. At point 1, where the point meets the circle, put Ray. At point 2, put me. At point 4, put far. At point 5, put so. At point 7, put la. At point 8, put t. And at point 9, put two does, one to the left of the point and one to the right, as there are two does there. The doe on the right starts the event, and the doe on the left ends it. So also, put a zero inside the circle below the nine, as the circle actually goes from zero to nine. Now, we need to identify the three forces in the Enneagram of the justice system. This one is a little easier than the Enneagram of feeding the community. We have law enforcers, law breakers, and lawmakers, or, in simple terms, cops, crooks, and courts. At point zero or nine are the cops, the function. The function is always cyclical. The cop equipment is taken out, used, and then put away. You can put cops, function, and cyclical at points 0 9. At point 3 are the crooks, the being. The crooks are going to be transformed irrevocably. You can put crooks, being and transformed at point 3. At point 6 are the courts, the will. The courts make the laws and are the purpose behind the event. They existed before the other two. You can put courts, will, and purpose at point six. We have identified the cops, the crooks, and the courts as the function, being, and will. Remember, if we take any one of those away, there can be no justice system. No cops, and there is no one to enforce the laws. 
no crooks, and there is no one breaking the laws, no courts, and there is no one making the laws, just anarchy. Now, we need to relabel the remaining points, and the labels will be very similar to the labels we used on the Enneagram of feeding the community. Point one is the workers, the cops. The cops assemble, and the sergeant stands at the podium and gives out assignments. They call it the muster. Point two is the tools, i.e. uniforms, badges, guns, cars, surveillance equipment and undercover disguises, etc. Point four is the investigation. This is where the crook is prepared. Point five is the arrest, the point of most tension. You are under arrest and your goose is cooked. Point seven is the trial. The crook is taken to court, tried and served to the jury. Point eight is the conviction. We find the defendant guilty. The line of time goes clockwise around the circle. You can label the circle time and put arrow marks between the points to show its direction. The event starts at zero and ends at nine. Memories of the Andy Griffith show. At point zero, the police station is empty. Then Sheriff Andy Taylor arrives. Next at point one, Deputy Sheriff Barney Fife shows up as the worker. Okay, fast forward to modern times. The cops show up at point one as the workers. They attend the muster and get their assignments. Officer Adams, you are going undercover on Oak Street. Dress as a vagrant, someone has been robbing vagrants in that area. If someone tries to rob you, make the arrest and slap on the cuffs. Officer Jones and Larson, you will be on stakeout at 383 Elm. It's the home of a suspected drug dealer, etc. Then at point two, they get out the tools they need. At point three, the crook enters and commits a crime. At point four, the crime is investigated, hopefully revealing a suspect, who in turn is investigated. At point five is the arrest. Up against the wall, don't move, hands behind your head. At point six, the crook is taken to court, arraigned, and a trial date is set. At point seven, the trial is finished and handed over to the jury. The jury deliberates and, at point eight, reaches a verdict. Guilty. The crook is convicted. Finally, at point nine, the crook is sentenced and taken away by the higher cops, the prison guards. Okay, that is the event according to the flow of time. Now, we will look at the line of supervision. The line of supervision is the line of the district attorney. He is the liaison between the courts, the cops and the crooks. He joins the workers at Ray and looks into the future at Far to see what crimes need investigating. Then, he informs the cops back at me what tools they need. We can't get Al Capone on the RICO Act or for murder, but maybe we can get him for tax evasion. 
let's get his bank records and look at his assets. While the cops are investigating and gathering evidence, the district attorney again looks into the future to T. He must be able to see a conviction or the judge will not give him an arrest warrant. When enough evidence is gathered and the district attorney is able to convince the judge that his case is airtight, we got him judge, we have pictures, his fingerprints, DNA evidence and we even have two eyewitnesses. If the judge agrees, he will sign a warrant for his arrest. Then, the warrant, the district attorney and the police will arrive at so, the point of most tension, and make the arrest. You have the right to remain silent. The crook is then arraigned. Note, the trial takes place between so and la, where the line of supervision is in lockstep with the line of time. During the trial, the district attorney is there every day presenting his case. The district attorney's part of the trial continues until the district attorney says, Your Honour, I rest my case. He will rebut the defence attorney's case and does get to make a closing argument, but, as far as his case is concerned, he is utterly finished. The district attorney has taken the Enneagram up to La. From there, he goes back over to Ray and initiates the next investigation. The jury will decide the fate of the crook, not the district attorney. The highest note that the district attorney can reach is La. He can try the case, but not convict. The highest note that an Enneagram can attain is La. Embed that in your brain. You cannot make oranges, you can only make blossoms. The highest that an Enneagram can shove an event up to is La. I repeat, the highest that an Enneagram can shove an event up to is La. With the aid of an Enneagram, we are able to thoroughly define two separate events. The Enneagram of Feeding the Community, which was covered in a previous podcast, and the Enneagram of the Justice System. Using this knowledge, you should be able to place any event on an Enneagram. Okay, back to the changing of the law of seven. Now, let's explore the mathematics of the forces in an Enneagram. The Enneagram is a symbol that shows us the correlation between the law of seven and the law of three. It is a circle numbered one through nine. Though technically, it is a circle numbered 0 through 9, thus having 10 digits. 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9. In the Enneagram, the circle, which we already discussed, was our endlessness. God. Everything is contained within the circle, within God. It represented the oneness of the model. God is one. Next, we found the Trinity, the Triangle. God went from being one to becoming three. Let's begin with the mathematics of the Triangle. In the Enneagram, the Triangle is at points three, six and nine. 
Mathematically, if we take the oneness of God and divide it into three forces, then one force, or one third of God, would be the decimal 0.333 recurring. If we added 0.333 to itself, it would represent two thirds of God, and it would add up to 0.666 recurring. And if we added 0.333 to the 0.666, it would represent three thirds of God, which would add up to 0.999 recurring. Technically, it does not get to one, even though we know that a third plus a third plus a third is one. However, three pure recurring decimals of 0.333 will never add up to one. They will add up to the pure recurring decimal of 0.999. It is interesting that the first number in the sequence, 0.333, is three. And the first number in the sequence, 0.666, is six. And the first number in the sequence, 0.999, is nine. Hey, on the Enneagram, those are the same numbers at the points of the triangle, three, six, and nine. Well, the law of three is represented on the Enneagram as thirds, via the mathematics of 0.333, 0.666 and 0.999. Thus, we have found the first change in creation. One became three, giving us the mathematics of thirds. The next symbol on the Enneagram represents the law of seven. The oneness of God is divided by seven, which also produces a pure recurring decimal that goes. 0.142857142857142857142857. It never ends. It just goes on forever. It just keeps repeating and repeating and repeating the sequence of 0.142857. This decimal represents one seventh of God. Now, what if we added 0.142857 to itself? What would we get? 0.285714, which would be two sevenths. And if we added 0.142857 to that, we get 0.428571, which would be three sevenths. Add 0.142857 to that, we get 0.571428, which would be four sevenths. Add 142857 to that, we get 0.714285, which would be 5 sevenths. Add 0.142857 to that, we get 0.857142, which would be 6 sevenths. And finally, add 0.142857 to that, and we would again be at 0.99999. Next we notice that the first number in the sequence, 0.142857, is 1. The first number in the sequence, 0.285714, is 2. The first number in the sequence, 0.428571, is 4. The first number in the sequence, 0.571428, is 5. The first number in the sequence, 0.714285, is 7. And the first number in the sequence, 0.857142, 
is 8. Hey, on an Enneagram, those are the same numbers at the points of the line of supervision. 1, 2, 4, 5, 7 and 8. Wow! The law of 7 is represented on the Enneagram as sevenths via the mathematics of point 142857. Thus, we have found the second change in creation. Or did we? We will answer that question in a moment. For now, we will stick with the mathematics of sevenths. One became seven, giving us the mathematics of sevenths, which, as we said, has the first number in the decimals of one seventh, two sevenths, three sevenths, four sevenths, five sevenths, and six sevenths at the points of the line of supervision. There is the one, and there is the two, and the four, and the five, and the seven, and the eight. Earlier, the numbers that were at points three, six, and nine referred to the law of three. Now, we see that the numbers at the points one, two, four, five, seven, and eight refer to the law of seven. Also notice that in the decimal point one four two eight five seven, there is no three, six, or nine. And in the decimals point three three three, point six six six, and point nine nine nine, there are no ones, twos, fours, five, sevens, or eights. Wow! The law of three contributes three of those nine numbers, the three, six, and nine, and the law of seven contributes six, one, four, two, five, seven, and eight. Put the two great laws together, and voila, we get the universe. Next, we will look at the movement of the line of supervision. It goes around the Enneagram from one to four, then to two, then to eight, then to five, and then to seven, and then it goes back to one and repeats. Holy moly! That is the same down number as the decimal point 142857. The movement of the line of supervision follows the numbers in the decimal sequence. So, not only does the decimal identify the numbers on the Enneagram, but the flow of the line of supervision itself is the decimal sequence. Also, notice that if we start at point 2, we go 285714. If we start at point 4, we go 428571. If we start at point 5, we go 571428. If we start at point 7, we go 714285. And if we start at point 8, we go 857142. Oh my god, the decimals of 1 7th, 2 7th, 3 7th, 4 7th, 5 7th and 6 7th show the order of movement that the line of supervision follows from each of those sevenths. That is, begin at any number that matches the first number of one of those decimals, then follow that decimals number sequence around the Enneagram. Wow! The movement of the line of supervision enables the line of supervision to coordinate the Enneagram from any point. Alright, we have now explored the basic mathematics of the Enneagram. 
However, as we said earlier, there is something strange about that mathematics. The Enneagram is divided into thirds and sevenths. The law of three does depict thirds and reflects the first change in creation. That is, one became three. Check. But, the law of seven depicts equal sevenths, and equal sevenths are not congruent with the diatonic structure of the law of seven. That is, even sevenths do not accurately portray the second change in creation. So, no check. Let's see if we can find out why. In the universe, the law of three is at thirds, and the law of seven is diatonic. Thirds and diatonic, not thirds and sevenths. Thirds and diatonic. That is how our universe is at present. Thirds and diatonic. Notice that the diatonic structure of the law of seven is in sync with the law of three, with the thirds. That is, the law of seven has notes at three-thirds, do, two-thirds, la, and one-third, fa. And the law of three has forces at three-thirds, two-thirds, and one-third. The two great laws have mutual points of contact. Aha! From this, we can surmise that at some point, the law of seven and the law of three may not have had mutual points of contact. If that is true, one or both of them would have to change in order to achieve mutual points of contact. And that makes sense. Okay, we previously learned that the law of three has to be at thirds. It could not be any other way. Remember the magnets on strings? Methane's tetrahedral shape and salt's cubes? Well, if the law of three can only be at thirds, then it cannot be changed. So, if we wish to attain mutual points of contact between the law of three and the law of seven, we will have to make a greater change in the law of seven. To conceptualize the change in the law of seven, let's go back to the mathematics of the Enneagram. On the Enneagram, the law of three was at thirds, and the law of seven was at sevenths. However, in the universe, the law of seven is not that way. The law of seven is diatonic. Well, I wonder if that means that the law of seven was at even sevenths before it became diatonic. We postulated that before the law of three was separated into thirds, the three forces were all in the same place. But we have not postulated what the law of seven looked like before it became diatonic. Perhaps that clue was right in front of us all along, hiding in the mathematics of the Enneagram. That is, the Enneagram may represent the transitional state of the universe, the state between the first change of creation, the separation of the three forces into thirds, and the second change of creation, one that changed the even sevenths to diatonic and reveals what the law of seven looked like before it was changed. To find out, 
Let's calculate an octave in even sevenths and place it alongside the separated forces at even thirds and see what we get. When we do, we can see the dilemma. An octave calculated in even sevenths does not have mutual points of contact with all three of the separated forces. Only the top dough and the bottom dough contact force one. In the diatonic octave of 168, which was introduced earlier, the notes and forces align. However, if we calculate the octave of 168 at even sevenths, they do not. The notes that are at even sevenths are at 168, 192, 216, 240, 264, 288, 312, and 336. Whereas, the forces that are, are at even thirds are at 168, 224, 280, and 336. The intervals between the notes are 24, and the distances between the forces are 56. We can see in Gurdjieff's writings that Gurdjieff suggests that our endlessness achieved common alignment between the separated forces and the structure of the law of seven by altering two of the intervals in the law of seven, which then caused a third interval to become disharmonized. These changes in the functioning of the sacred Heptaparapashinok consisted in this that in three of its stoppenders, he altered the what are called subjective actions, which had been until then in the stoppenders, in this respect, that in one he lengthened the law conformable successiveness, shortened it in another, and in a third disharmonized it. And, namely, with the purpose of providing the requisite inherency for receiving, for its functioning, the automatic affluence of all forces which were near, he lengthened the stopinder between its third and fourth deflections. This same stopinder of the sacred Heptaparapashinok is just that one which is still called the Meccano coinciding Mudnell Inn. The fellow in Texas read and reread this Gurdjieff passage, trying to make sense of the ideas contained therein, which ultimately led him to uncreate the universe. And here's how he describes it. It was in 1988 that the idea of uncreating the universe first began to coagulate in the fabric of my thoughts. Before I explain the events that followed, perhaps it would be beneficial to back up for a moment. This facet of my quest to unlock the secrets buried in Gurdjieff's cosmology actually began in 1980. I can still remember my first discovery. I was browsing through the dictionary and happened upon the geologic timescale. In it, I saw octaves emerging. I assigned values to those octaves and calculated my own scale of geologic time. To my surprise, my calculations precisely matched more than half of the dictionary's figures, and the rest were close enough to convince me that indeed, there must be, behind all life, a definable and verifiable structure. The infrastructure of the universe. From that moment on, I began to calculate octaves of every imaginable size, in hopes that I would recognize other patterns emerging. All the while, I kept reading and rereading Gurdjieff's writings in order to learn more about myself and looked for additional clues that might aid me in this quest. With perseverance, 
I was able to unscramble many other things, which of course further stimulated my search. It seemed as if all the complexities of Gurdjieff's two fundamental laws were unfolding before my eyes. I should have been elated, but instead I was filled with trepidation, for I knew that until I was able to understand their creation and actually verify how and why these two laws acquired such a specific structure, that all of my efforts would remain speculation. A manipulation of facts and figures, that is, results without substance. Then, on that fate-filled day in 1988, after eight years of searching, and after I had calculated enough material to literally fill a small library, the idea finally hit me. If I could unravel the diatonic law of octaves, and then recreate it, I would have absolute confidence in the structure that was created, and also unequivocally substantiate all my previous findings. Days passed without sleep. I could not stop the momentum that had begun, nor did I want to. Finally, the vivifying process completed itself, and I excitedly constructed the first working model that showed the changing of the laws and demonstrated to several of my students the creation of the diatonic scale, and, ultimately, the actualization of the universe itself. Needless to say, they became very quiet, contemplating its possibilities, and very active, applying its realities. Perhaps you will too. So let's return to our investigations and discover together the law-conformable results that flowed forth the moment the diatonic universe came into being. Wow. In the next podcast, we will discuss how to make the same model that the fellow in Texas used to create the diatonic universe and what it meant. We may finally be able to see what Gurdjieff meant in his discourse and thus how creation worked diatonically. Thank you for listening. And if you'd like to know more about the subjects and exercises we've been covering in these podcasts, including the book and guide that underpins all of this, and how we work with it, you can find us at The Dog Publishing at the website thedogpub.com. That's T-H-E-D-O-G-P-U-B dot com. Hope you find it useful. Goodbye. Until next time.